So welcome, guys. Uh, Andrew Lampion on my left. You are the owner of Cyclone Social. You also have a great spiral. Uh, we actually go way back. <laughs> that we were neighbors when you were a young kid, and I would come home from work and play football on the street with you and your brothers and have to watch for cars. Um, and, and we turned that into when your guys' arms got stronger, throwing it over my house. No. And so we would play three flies up, but you couldn't see when the ball was coming. <laughs> So that's we go back a long way. Is and uh, Paris, you own two businesses, but they don't seem to have anything in common whatsoever except for you. Tell me if I'm wrong. No, it's, you own a hobby shop, correct, and a brewery restaurant. Yes. How we got there? Well, hold on, like, like they do have something in common, right? Like I mean, they have just like a hit at heart, right? Like, just like every dude's dream. <laughs> Dude, and I guess like the things that brought me to that are kind of similar. Like I, I got into hobbies just because I, I enjoyed tinkering. It was just kind of a creative outlet. So there's just a lot of fun stuff. And it started there when I was young, and just kind of kept going through it. And you know, one day they made a passing comment that she should work there when you turn 16. And so I turned 16 and went back. It's like, I'm here for a job. And then got hired. And then just at that point, the rest was history. And what specific hobby hobbies were you doing? Because you have everything from pine card derby mm -hmm. to models to uh, remote control cars, yeah. remote control planes. For sure. There's other stuff. What what yeah. were you actually engaging as a kid? My big thing, I was into cars, but I've always been just a, a huge fan of aviation. Um, so I was in that, like, RC airplanes, RC helicopters, just, I like flying in general. So I, I was a big uh, World War II aircraft buff as a kid. I still kind of am. Um, and I mean, it was just kind of a golden time of aviation. So, so you're working there at 16. Mm -hmm. uh, how long did you work there? What was the path to go from I'm working there to I now own it? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of it is, you know, kids just give your high school parties and work. <laughs> but uh, seriously, so I started at 16. Let me back up. You just said kids skip your high school parties and work. Yes. <laughs> I, I look back. Th and that actually is amazing advice. <laughs> yes. It's great for our college students to right. skip the parties and work. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that I was doing this, but honestly, most of the time that I could work were Friday nights and the weekend. So through high school, like sophomore year of high school, I worked Friday night six to nine because we were open later, and I worked Saturday, Sunday. Those are the hours that I could get in. And in doing that, it I missed a lot of football games. I missed a lot of parties. At the time, I'm like, man, I'm missing out on all of this, uh, missing out. And, and like fast forward, I get to the point that like, um, I worked there 10 years and then had the opportunity to buy the business uh, with the original owner's son. So we bought it together. And then a few years later, I bought him out. Um, but I was like, you know, you, you do things in life. And you're trying to understand the why or how, how did this happen? And I look back and I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'll give up those parties to be where I'm at now. So, you know, it just kind of comes full circle. And now I understand, like, what was happening and the value of that. Are your daughters, you have two daughters. I do. Their ages? Eight and four. Are they into hobbies? Uh, no. Because <laughs> hopefully they're not into your other business. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're not into hobbies. Like, I, I try to bring things, you know, for them to engage with, and I think one day they will. Um, ultimately, like, I enjoy hobbies, but what I've, I've learned with this business and the brewery is just, it's fun 
to have a hobby shop, everyone thinks I play all day, but like it's even harder to focus and remind myself that like I have people that depend on me and I need to run a good business. That's fun. So I think that's a really good topic, and I don't want to jump in like too aggressively, but I think that that's a really good topic that my wife and I talk about sometimes about like owning a business that you that you love the product for mm-hmm. versus like getting out of your passion and actually right. running a business. When you get when you get too close to it and you love what you're doing and you love what you're doing, do you make do you make good sound business decisions or do you make passionate business decisions? Sometimes it becomes a hobby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people actually have hobbies where they're losing money. Right. You actually turned a hobby, I think it was a hobby, into a business. One of my wife's business. No, yours. Something. From what you were doing yeah. uh, as a sports fan. Okay, yeah. Walk us through, how do you go from um, blogging, from being online and, and talking about sports to owning a business and employing people? And Yeah, I, I think it's a good point. I think it was just a hobby early on, but at also the same time, I've never been overly passionate about social media marketing, but it was a great opportunity. So like this, this story would go that early on, I'm a huge Notre Dame football fan. Uh, I love Notre Dame football. Everybody knows that if they follow me on social media. And a friend of mine and I, we had built a Twitter account that was a Notre Dame football fan account, and it had grown pretty aggressively. And during that that time, um, I was I had another business that I had started, a digital signage advertising company, and I was in Indianapolis. And I'd go talk to businesses, and I'd say, "Hey, do you want to buy digital signage advertising?" And they'd say, "Is that social media?" <laughs> they heard the word digital. And so I was like, well, I know something about social media. Because oh, it doesn't just go, yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah, that is, yeah. yeah, so that is basically where it went, right? So I'm like, okay, well, I've got this Twitter account. So I, something, I know something, right? I don't know that I'm an expert. Um, sure. What if I help you with that? And it was, it was funny because I, I had that conversation with someone at one point when I moved back to Fort Wayne. And he was like, well, why don't you just do our social media for us? Like, oh, yeah, that's probably, that probably makes sense. So I started Cyclone Social as a... Um, to me, it was a stepping stone. It was like I can't, you know, I can't make money playing on Facebook and and Twitter at the time, you know, all day long. And then I got a client, then I got another client, then I got another client, and I started looking at it from a different perspective, from a business perspective. And I said, well, I, I started it as an opportunity. I like what I'm doing, but I'm also, I wouldn't say it came from like a passion of just absolutely loving everything about social media or digital marketing. It came as opportunity, and then knowledge and understanding of businesses and the perspective is a little different than maybe, you know, my wife owns a women's clothing boutique. She loves women's clothes, obviously. She's uh, She's been in that world for a long time. So hers is more passion. And she and I have these conversations a lot about, are you buying that because the numbers tell you to buy that? Or are you buying that because you really like it? Right? And there's a, there's a balance. I, I bet she loves hearing that. She, yeah, she loves it, especially on camera uh, yeah. when she watches this at some point. So... <laughs> I didn't say it, Lauren. Uh, <laughs> seriously, I know a good marriage counselor. Uh, I, I, my oldest child, that she started a business when she was younger, just detailing cars. It was easy to get started, and she was meticulous, and so this was a good job for her. And a friend of mine was selling his Corvette, and he wanted her to detail it. And he said, and by the way, I need you to do the interior. She said, I don't do the interior. And he said, you do now. And... She was frustrated. Oh, that was a great business lesson. That it's a natural if you do the exterior, you now need to start doing the interior, and he he wants it as well. Um, it, it and I think that so many times in business, 
weekend to your sign story, go, no, I don't do that until hopefully we wake up and, and maybe it's God inspired. We go, maybe I should be doing that. Mm. Uh, and there's been lots of times in my business where I've come back and said, hey, we now do this because uh, our, our clients are asking for it. Yeah, I think that's a, a huge key. And like one thing that I kind of think a lot about is just opportunity. Because I think it's one thing to have passion, but if you can't read and understand and move on opportunity, like you, you don't have a business. Because business is opportunistic in a sense. And I mean, you look at just even the waves of, for me, like hobbies and how things change or social media, you can take any business, there's always going to be waves. And how does a business maintain a steady state? is you have to understand how to read and move where the opportunity is. And I think that's really the kind of the underpinning thing is like, yeah, I was passionate about hobbies, but like I'm better at seeing opportunity than, than hobbies. And eventually like my passion became seizing opportunities and just growing things. So I, I think you talk about your daughter or, or just all of our businesses. And I think that's the key piece. You need someone that can understand how to seize and act opportunity. At the same time without without jumping into things that you have no right. expertise in, because I've heard that too before, where someone says yes to everything, yeah. and then you know, the client goes, wait, do you, even, do you even know what you're doing, or do you just say, I can do anything? Uh, yeah. And you kind of make it up, so you do have to also I agree. Have, find the right tools to... But it takes you at least a decade of owning a business to learn how to say no to things. <laughs> well, then, then, and I think at the 20, 25-year mark, it's, and for some people, they get there sooner. I found for me, it's becoming more and more narrow now my focus as far as my role mm -hmm. in the business and what I can do. And if other people can do it as effectively, then it probably yeah. couldn't be me doing it. I need to spend time in what am I uniquely gifted to do? Where do my, yeah. where can I be and bring the most value? What's the most rare um, mm -hmm. skill set that I have? Because that's the, the most valuable to the people we work with. Well, that's why we have focus going through that right now. And it's been kind of this like weird awakening because like I built my businesses and just kind of my workflow was just force and willpower. Like I was a heavy lift guy. I'm just, let's get it done. And then I, I mean, I, I, as I've gotten older and I've owned a business for 12 years now, but then you, you kind of learn, it's just like anything. It's like, it just, that kind of weight, it, it just wears on you. And like, at this point, like, I don't want to do it. So where are my real strengths? And to that point, it's just kind of like now I find joy in building a team or bringing people along that are better at something. It's still weird when you you work on the, uh, the delegation of things. But then it is also this great satisfaction when you know that I built a team to succeed without my input. But yet they're doing the things for the direction and the goals that I set. And it's, it's a fun thing to watch because it just, it strengthens everything. It strengthens the team because they feel validated and contributing. And then it gives me the opportunity to work within my skill set. But then as a group, like just that shared win is huge. I mean, just winning together is how you, you keep a team together. How do you go from owning a hobby shop to now... Um, a brew pub. How do you, what's, what's the transition? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a little drab, but really, um, it happened. My, my dad passed away suddenly. I got a call one Sunday and they took him to the hospital. It was the last time I saw him. And, 
you know, you go through things like that. Um, and then that same year, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and would pass a year, a little bit, a little over a year or two later. Um, and I was 29 and 31 and I owned this business, but it was just kind of like, you go, I went through this spiral of like, what am I doing here? Because they were both 62. So I was like, I'm good at math. So I was like, okay, this is a perfect time to have a midlife crisis. Cause you know, if my parents are 62 and I'm 31, like I need to figure out what I'm doing here and just kind of going through that process. And, you know, just again, like I had this realization about missing high school football games and those parties and then where I was at with Phil's and it just hit me now of like how I ended up at the brewery because the truth is is like when my dad passed we had kind of a lake cottage that um, we both started working on together put a well in and then he, he passed and it just never happened and then all of a sudden that became a pet project and I renovated this lake cottage that my dad wanted to be for our family and then my daughters are born and that happened. And then I look back on it now, my mom passed and then I started a brewery. And a lot of that was just kind of that, call them passion projects, but in, the, in that moment I knew that I, when they passed, I knew I enjoyed business. I chose a cliche path, I wanna be a serial entrepreneur and I only had one business. So, you know, you can't be serial if you don't have two. So that's kind of just looking through that process and, um, I had homebrewed in college, but just really looking at the landscape in Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne was changing. This was 2015, 2016. So Fort Wayne was changing. Um, There's a lot of opportunity. We didn't have a ton of saturation for breweries. Uh, fast forward, I met my partner and we just started planning and found a bank that said yes. And then we just kind of opened a brewery. Um, but it was hard, but honestly, one of the best things that happened in my life, just because of the growth for personally that I achieved with that. I mean, just the lessons learned were so invaluable. And this is to, to both of you. So as you're starting this, what role as you're starting businesses does your faith have, your belief system, your family, uh, supportive wife, all of this? Uh, who wants to go first in that one? I can, I, yeah. I don't mind. So for me, um, the, the support system, I, I met someone really early on who took me under her wing. She's a business owner in town. She knew a lot of people. And um, she said, I'm not going to uh, necessarily do anything, like teach you anything different, but I'm going to help set you ahead maybe 10 years by just helping you say no to certain things or avoid certain things along the way. And uh, one of the first things she did, she said, hey, uh, write down a list of your centers of influence, people you know in town who know people. It's like, okay, my mom, that's about it right now. Can I put you on it? And she's like, no. I said, okay, great, I got my mom, I got my mom. <laughs> so, so uh, starting, Good dad. Yeah, but- uh, he, was a radio, say, he was a radio DJ. Look, I'm not joking, like my parents, we were in Ireland one time, we were sitting in a pub in Ireland <laughs> and we're talking and we're hanging out and these people across the bar said, um, excuse me, are you from Fort Wayne, Indiana? Yeah, so are we. We, uh, we live right next door to neighbor. I, I knew I knew you and talking to my mom, I'm like, dear God, you can go literally anywhere in the entire in the entire world and know somebody. So, um, but, but going back to like the, ethics and the values and like how we were raised. My, uh, my granddad, so my mom's father was, um, a salesman. He worked in, uh, he worked in a lot of different businesses, but he actually invented alphabet cereal. Um, 
Not everybody knows that. Uh, so, but his his business savvy and some of the lessons we learned from him set business ethics for me early on. And then watching the faith, the family, the perspective from everyone um, in my life, I think helped set me up for a spot to say I can make good ethical decisions and good business decisions based on what I know is right and what I know is wrong. And uh, then having later in life my getting married, I mean, I, I had my business for five years or so when I met my wife, but her really coming in and going alongside of me as a partner, uh, she'll tell you that when you're dating, I tried as hard as I could, listen, I'm married to a business. I don't know that I can do, I don't know that I can do more. And she just, okay, cool. You know, you, you do that. And I'll be here and I'll be here and I'll be here and I'll support you. And whatever that means, like I'll be right here. But when you're ready to take this to the next level and okay, great. And she was a great partner early on for that and continued to be a great partner for business. So yeah, I don't know if I answered the question fully, yeah. but I think that's really important to have the people around you, the faith around you, the um, relationships around you. You have to be super vulnerable and have conversations. And I think also early getting in with certain people and meeting certain people, you realize really quick, especially as a young entrepreneur. I started my business when I was 23. Um, meeting with CEOs of big companies, you realize really quick, huh, he knows way more than me about this. But I know way more than him about this, this tiny little thing over here, the social media marketing thing. So we put our pants on the same way. We can have good conversations. And I'm not going to talk to him about finances. I'm not going to talk to him about something else. I'm going to talk to him about this little thing. And I'm going to do it in an ethical way. I've always done my business that way. Shake hands, don't sign contracts. So I try to build ethical conversations and ethical relationships based on what I know, the way I was raised. And I'm going to sacrifice that. It's really important. And are there certain businesses that you won't promote? Oh yeah, uh, we we've said no, so we don't we don't work with direct competitors. So uh, that's one big part. And then there, there's certain industries that we know we had. Um, we've had some companies reach out to us about working with them that I didn't feel ethically okay with what they were doing. Um, so we'll say no to that. But the direct competitor thing, we've turned down probably millions of dollars in the business saying no because we gave this company our word. I was working with a company and this huge healthcare group came to us and said, we want to work with you. And I said, I'm working with this guy who's smaller, a lot smaller than you, but I got to talk to them first and make sure that it's okay. And when the guy said, I don't know, I said, just say no more, right? Like, that's it. That's because awesome. right away, like we got the ethics of it. And I'm not going to sacrifice that. I don't, I'm not going to judge other people for adjusting that, but um, I can sleep at night. That's what matters, right? I think that it's good if we're going to sacrifice a little bit here. See what happens later. And those businesses stay with us. They create loyalty. Right. Paris, a question about an hour ago. Was, uh, how did, as you've gone through starting several businesses mm -hmm. and the pet projects, how did your faith, your family, your wife, how did that shape those decisions? Sure. Yeah, for me, I mean, I look back and again, I like to kind of reflect a lot and coming off kind of a long reflection of my first business, the brewery, and a lot of it's been just kind of familiar. Like my grandmother, um, born in the Depression in Georgia, kind of like the stories I hear from her, but just, just she was a woman that always wanted more and was never willing to settle. She has two, hex, 
two ex-husbands because they weren't good enough. Um, and she's doing just fine. But just, just seeing that. And, but then also what she instilled in us is like she was coming up at a time that education for her was hard to get. Um, but she always strive to want more. And, and two things for that. Like one, watching my grandma always working on her vocabulary and just doing little things to get better. Like at, at any age, she's 90 now, but just as I'm growing up, just seeing her working on herself. And then also just being smart and savvy. She retired um, from 33 years at Delco and yeah. Um, but like that, but the other thing she did is she knew that she didn't have this. So she wanted to make sure like my mom and we had education and that was like literally the best thing but it instilled kind of those values of, of just wanting to improve and always like living within your means and, and just doing that and that was critical that was a critical example um and then for me just my parents just basic skills and values um my family was faithful so growing up in the church and just kind of that community so you, you build that network and knowing that there are people that love you and want to see you succeed is, is an amazing thing. And I know not everyone has that, but it is, it is something powerful. Um, fast forward to kind of going through school. I was pretty studious. I was an honor student. I worked a lot, so I didn't have as much time to party. Um, but you, sometimes you feel like you're missing out in the moment. But I, I like to think I wasn't one of those people that peaked in high school. So, you know. Um, fast forward through that, my wife and I, we kind of had the same circles in high school, but met in college. And I, I remember this is thing because we joke about it a lot is, and my mom was a strong woman. Like she had a husband, but she didn't need him. <laughs> um, and then that's kind of, I, I absorbed that. And it was funny because my wife and I at the time we were like, you know, neither one of us wanted a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's like, but we'll just hang out. So it was just coming from that standpoint of, we are both strong individuals, but we choose to be together. And I look back kind of going through entrepreneurship and business and just that same mentality just of support. And I like to think that um, for me personally, like my grandmother, my mom, those strong women in my life allowed me to you choose a strong partner, which for an entrepreneur, and if you know this, is like you have to have a strong partner because there are days where, like, from a life standpoint, like you can only lift so much, and maybe they're carrying the other side of life for you, and you don't realize it till you look over, and they're they're walking right behind you with the same load. Um, and you know, my wife and I, we've been together twelve years, well, no, almost nineteen years, married for twelve. Uh, and, and she still gets us all the time. Like, how do you let your husband do that? It's like, no, like we did this together. Like we built this life together. And yes, sometimes it looks like I'm out doing all these things, doing all these fun things. But I know she's working just as hard because we have daughters. We have a home. She has goals that she wants in life. So um, she was the teacher of the year a year or two ago. So like she is successful in her own right. And I remember when that happened, it's like, just one of those amazing moments for me that I got to be the one on the side looking back as she's the one in front of the camera and be immensely proud of her because it's not just me, it's us. Yeah. I think about in our, and, and my wife, uh, she does teaching. When she doesn't get teacher of the year, we have a problem. <laughs> we homeschool. So 
It's a bad year. Paris, you talked about your wife and the role she plays in mm-hmm. building. And Andrew, the same. I think about early in my career, actually, the start of my career, I was offered a job and I turned it down. Uh, I offered a job in this industry and, and I turned it down. And we had just gotten married. And maybe four weeks later, I can't sleep, which I can always sleep. And I wake my wife up and I said, I think I made a mistake turning that job down. And she goes, well, call them tomorrow and see if they'll give it to you. And then I went back to sleep. I was like, well, that was a simple answer. (laughs) So I called and said, can I have this job? And the person that I turned it down with, he said, you need to bring your wife. Bring your wife and I'll, I'll think about offering it to you again. So I went in. And Mike, who was my mentor for years, he he said, why should I give it to you? You turned it down. And I told him why. And he said, okay, I'm done with you. And he turned to my wife and he just talked to her about what is it like to work along someone that's going to start a business and how hard they're going to have to work. And he just said, will you be supportive? And it was the most loving, kind thing to do. It was so awkward to say, I got to bring my wife to a job interview. Uh, we now, when we interview people, we like to go out with both spouses and just say, is this a good fit? And, and go to the spouse and say, do you see your spouse doing this? Hmm. Does this align with who you know that they are? And are you supportive? And what about the days when it's hard? And uh, in 2009, it was 2009, the market had just been in a, a deep free fall. And we were doing lunches every day and bringing people in to talk about it. I said, we're not going to hide. I didn't make the markets go down. I didn't make investments go down. Let's talk about what to do. And so many people that I care deeply about were angry because they're watching their life savings just plummet. And I'm the connection between their investments and them. And and I came home one day and I, I could just, I can still picture it. I sat on the couch and I'm just fried. And I said, honey, I don't know how much longer I can do this. All these people I care about are furious at me. Oh, I haven't brought a paycheck home in three months. We, we've tithed. We paid everybody else, but we haven't gotten paid. And I'm working 70 hours a week plus. And she looked at me and she said, do we have any money that we can invest? And it was like this light bulb went off by low. And she didn't. Any, and she didn't even acknowledge my whole pity party sob story. <laughs> and it was the best thing that she could have said. And I literally popped up off the couch and I go, oh, I'm an idiot. Thanks. And it just took me out of this really kind of dark moment where I was thinking about giving up. And 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 I don't know why she didn't respond with, you can do it. Or attaboy, <laughs> just like, can we make money in this? <laughs> and uh, that was a, a great uh, learning Point for me, and now when the markets drop, I remind people, you can sell low and be taken advantage of. You can sit tight, and this will pass, or buy low and take advantage of. Because you don't get proof and price. You get one. So when when you get the good prices, you don't have the proof that things are going to rebound. And and that was a huge lesson to learn out of that. Uh, What are some business lessons that you guys have learned that are shareable across industry? Mm. For me, just to kind of jumping in, like here lately, it's it's just really been leadership driven. I think it's just 
ultimately, like, it takes time to build a relationship built on trust, but it takes a moment to lose it. And I think it's just, you have to work every day. And one of the things I remind myself of, um, and this is the way I approach my businesses and my interaction with everyone who works for me and everyone I work with is the truth is the people who work for me, like they owe me nothing. I don't own them. Like they don't owe me anything. So the only thing I can actually do that I can control is I can make sure that I'm working hard every day to make sure this is a place that they want to be. And also I am humbled by the fact that they have chosen to work here because the minute you sign on with any company, you're saying, hey, I trust that you are going to do what you say you're going to do. And I'm going to be able to live the life that I want to by giving you a massive amount of my time. And I think if like if you're not humbled by that, that people constantly choose to follow you and make those decisions, like spoken or not, like I think you're doing it wrong. And and that's my approach. And, and I tell everyone like my my thing right now is under promise over deliver. Like I can tell you what I can do, but I, can, I, I don't want to get into what I can't do or, or go anywhere. I'd rather under promise, not give anything back and deliver on that. And I have found that like that just builds the under, underpinning of a solid relationship. So when I ask for things or push for more, they know that I'm not doing that just to create this flash in the pan or to leave people behind. Because that's the other thing. It's like, I firmly believe like you, winning is not mutually exclusive. Like you can't say you have a team and then just pick one person to win. So we have to win together. Um, and just all of that for me is just kind of how I approach everything. It's like, if I need to be the last one through the door, then that's fine. But I want to make sure that as a team that we're, we're winning together and then we're all building a relationship built on trust. Same question. Yeah. What are transferable concepts that you've learned that work across businesses? I think there's, there's multiple. I think one is in a business ownership. You guys probably feel this a lot is like the, the highs are high, the lows are low. The lows are really, really, really low and they're very lonely. Um, and there's a quote in a book from Bob Goff. I don't know if you know Bob Goff. He's a great Christian author. And he says, um, I used to think I could shape the circumstances around me, but now I know God uses circumstances to shape me. And I love that because I think that that helps me through any moments that are a struggle. Right? You, have these, you have these super lows. Uh, we can all point at them across the board in business where you're just talking about with, um, you know, the moment with your wife where you're sitting there going, I don't know what I'm going to do. But it's a circumstance that shapes you and, and helps you mold and get better. And I think as I look back over, I've been in business for 10 years now, um, all the lows have turned, helped me learn something to make me better. So when I hit a low now, I can use that as a learning opportunity. I think the other two things for me would be the super simple ones of your word is your bond. It's why I've always, as a business owner, said, well, I'm not going to sign a contract. I'm going to shake hands. I'm going to, you know, some, some businesses still say, well, they want a contract. I'm, okay, that's fine. But um, use my my um, my word and say, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I say. Quite frankly, I'm not going to stick you with something long term if it doesn't make sense. And we can shake hands and we can do business as men and we can, or I guess man and woman or whatever it might be, but we can do business and we can stick to our word and we can do what we're gonna what we promise and we're gonna and we're going to do it to the best of our ability or we're gonna serve that. Um, and then the other the other is uh, a quote that Scott Porter we're in a business group with him. Uh, he he owns Formula Boats and he is or he's the CEO of Formula Boats and he um, 
Oh, he says, do more of what's working on less of what's in. That's great. Yeah, it's so simple. It's so silly simple, but it really is. Like sometimes you get stuck and you're trying to figure out what to do. And if you just back up and you look at it, it's not rocket science. We're not building rocket ships here. And, and I think that what, what I found is that successful people come up and they learn proverbs in life. Mm. Do more of what's working, less of what's not. Um, the, you've got to give people a reason to want to work for you and they're counting on you to do what you say. You, you do what you say you're going to do, finish what you started, be on time. Those are some simple proverbs in business that uh, successful people have proverbs that I would say are pre-made decisions that they make. And I say this with people in, in finance too, people are, are wealthy. They have pre-made decisions, so they're not making a decision based on situational. Mm-hmm. And that that wisdom allows them to make the best decisions when all the decisions are good. Mm-hmm. And and if you read in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, it's a bunch of those, here's pre-made decisions to have. Mm-hmm. Never co-sign. Never do it. You look at the 2008 market collapse. What happened? It was credit default swaps that brought everything down. What's a credit default swap? It's co-signing. Mm-hmm. Like, don't do it. It's bad. Never co-sign. That's just a pre-made decision. So having pre-made decisions in business, lead, follow, or get the heck out of the way. Um, those are things that that uh, that I think can make us successful. And I love that you guys have those. Uh, and the more that we teach those to young people, it, and one of the things I discovered early on was I wanted to spend time with people that I wanted to be more like. Yeah. And I surrounded myself with people that I wanted to be able to point and say, if you became more like this friend, you'd be a better person. And, and if there was folks that I knew that I couldn't hold up for my kids, then let's not have them in our life. Um, and, I, and I think that's been, for me, something cherished. For my son's, uh, oldest son's 18th birthday, I, I put together a dinner for him with a bunch of men. and I had them speak about different traits that I saw in their life. Um, and, and we just went around the room and everyone gave a four to five minute speech to talk about what traits they wanted to see in him as he was becoming a man. And then at the end of it, my speech was work hard in life so that when your son's this age, you'll be able to fill a room with men like this. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, you'll be doing pretty well. Is an easy speech to write. And it, 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 but it was, it was a cool thing. And I gave him uh, a really cool sword with an engraved uh, verse on it about uh, acting like a man and seeking uh, first God and his kingdom. And so that to me was a turning point uh, to, to do that and be purposeful about not just business, but parenting and being a husband and having pre-made decisions. When I walk in the door, one of the questions I ask is, how can I serve my wife right now? I got home from a trip uh, late last night. And when I got up early this morning, the first thing I did was try to unpack my whole suitcase. And by this evening, that all be put away. And it used to take me like a week to unpack a suitcase. And now I need to get out of the way because this is unfair to her that she has to look at this. Pre-made decisions, make the bed every day, whatever it is. Those are the things that, that make it successful. As I talk about those, are there other pre-made decisions that you guys have with business, with marriage, with fatherhood, with faith that you? Um, one of the things that like my wife and I try to do is like for my daughters, when they ask a question, don't dismiss them. 
always take every question to teach. And one, because what I, what neither one of us want to happen is we don't want our daughters to explore in unsafe ways. Um, and just life, just kind of like, whether it be about tools, like I work a lot with tools and my daughters ask and like I tell them what it is. So we don't, we don't kidsplain things. We don't try and dismiss them. We'll talk about them. And even if it's adult, but what happens in that for us that we found is, is powerful is our, our daughters talk to us. They ask us sometimes deep questions. I got a question about divorce the other day and some of it was just coming from like things that they hear, but like. The, I, I'm a firm believer that fear is really uh, an embodiment of the unknown. We're afraid to face things that we don't know. So the more I can explain to my daughters, the more they have confidence in things, or the more they're open to exploring things that they don't know. So it removes that fear that allows them to clearly see opportunity. Because most of the time, most people don't see opportunity based on fear. And fear is based because they don't know how to find an explanation or to explore. So I, I think for me, pre-made decision is just always explaining to my daughters because I want them to prepare. I don't want them to be fearful of the unknown or things they may not know. Um, a little off topic, but I think that's important because it, it is, uh, they are effectively my legacy. Just like you talked about with your son. And so those are the traits so I, I wanna make sure that I'm constantly giving them the traits uh, that I would love to see them have in life, and I know they'll need to be successful. And your same question to you. What are your life proverbs or pre-made decisions that you live by? Very good one. Um, there's a couple, but I think a good one, return something better than you received it. It's something that my, my granddaddy used to always say. I mean, it was just little things like he'd the neighbor's shovel. The shovel had a little screw that was loose, and he'd take the screw out, put a new screw in, and you know, clean the shovel up, make it look nice, and bring it back. And he's like, you know, little things. Right? We always return and someone's car. You fill the, the gap. That just speaks to your grandpa's character. Yeah. That but, is amazing. But that, that came through with all 20, I think, six grandchildren. And, like, everybody has that now because it just continues to drive through. And so the little things in life that you're doing when you are, like, it's just that little extra thing that you can do. And it's not, it's just second nature now. To do those things uh you know complete transparency and misty i think is uh it sounds cliche to say those types of things but in our family having those conversations um are as you know our, our daughter's adopted we adopted uh she's just turned nine months so it's been almost actually technically the adoption date is in three weeks from now so we're super excited just got that the other day so it's awesome uh but one of the things that my wife and i talked about very early on in the process was around being transparent we're going to be we're going to have an open adoption, a closed adoption. How are we going to communicate this? And we quickly just said, no, we're just going to be very transparent. So even though she doesn't understand us yet, maybe she's starting to um, pick up little cues, we tell her her birth story every day, every night. And we have these conversations. We have a picture of us, myself, my wife, and birth mother uh, right above her crib, right? Like just in her in her nursery. Uh, we want to be transparent of conversations so that good like like Paris just said like good conversation and being able to have deep conversation with your children and um everybody in your life it only makes it better it only makes life better there's no questions and uh, I'm sure you can get deeper into that topic too because you also well and one of the you can save this line for later uh two of my children two of my five children are adopted and it's really obvious which two is they don't look anything like us 
And my favorite thing to do is when people ask about them being adopted, I always look them square in the eye and go, they didn't know. <laughs> Which it usually takes about five seconds to get them to joke. Yeah. I did that when the high school friend he was over in town and I looked him totally straight like they didn't know. And my daughter Charlotte just said, Dad, you're so stupid. <laughs> Which uh I think learning to laugh and and uh for us now, we've decided every Sunday we're gonna have a failing meal. Mm. But we sit around and say, Hi highs and lows for the week and what do you have planned this week? Mm. Just so we're engaging in each other's lives. We actually do that in our business now. Uh, every Monday we, we sit around and, and I got this from a design team in town, uh, a design firm. What'd you do this weekend? And, and being engaged in people's lives. If someone works for you 40 hours, it's, it's 24.5% of their week. I think it's the number in giving them a culture and environment that they, that makes that worthwhile, uh, is so important. And so. I have really enjoyed our conversation this morning. This has been fantastic and learning stuff and hearing great ideas. And I love hearing people's stories. And so thank you for coming in and sharing with us. Yeah. I appreciate thanks it. For, thanks for doing this. Thank, thank you. you. It's always good.